when I got home, Jill said, that's it. She resolved in her heart that it was, that was it. That was the, that was the end of this uh, life. She wasn't going to do this anymore. After three years of marriage, instead of her bringing me up, I drug her down. And she couldn't live with the violence and the, and the drunkenness and the, and the partying. So I come home from work one day and I walked in and she goes, I'm leaving. She goes, I go, what do you mean you're leaving? She goes, I'm going back to Ohio. I said, when are we going? She goes, well, we're not. She goes, I'm going back to Ohio and I'm going to stay with my grandparents. She goes, if you want to come, you're going to have to start going to church. And I went, oh man, you know, this is like way out there for me. I was like, church, the church people are weird, uh, like I wasn't. I'm trying to get my life together and I, um, I thought this church thing would give us a chance. But I always stood or sat in the back row right by the door and when the pastor would give the uh, benediction and say amen, out the door I would go. I didn't have much relationships. When she had Cassidy, she stayed home and I went to church by myself. So I went into the church and I stood in the back like I always did and listened to the service and then after it was over, I turned around to walk out the door like I always did and this little silver-haired lady walks up to me and she goes, I don't know who you are, but the Lord told me to come over here and tell you he's going to take care of your problems. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, that's kind of interesting. And I didn't pay much attention to it. And then I left, you know, I didn't give her much thought. I came back next Sunday, but next Sunday I remembered it. And I thought, well, I'm not hiding very well. The service went on and it was over and I stood up to leave and I started to walk out. And this another little lady walks up to me, a totally different lady. She goes, I don't know who you are, but the Lord told me to come over here and say, tell you that he's going to take care of your problems. I was like, wow, this is really freaky now. And I came back next Sunday, which was uh, September 23rd, 1984. I'll never forget it. And High Mill was set up. All the core people went way down front. Everybody got down there and they sang real loud. It's packed and his back thinned out. You know? And I sat down about three rows in, about two rows back, right in this pack, you know, and they're singing and everybody's worshiping and praising the Lord. And the pastor did the service and it was uh, Communion Sunday. They had the, the cup and the bread, and I'm sitting there in the pew. I had my eyes shut, and I saw this hand, and his hand's coming through the darkness, and it comes right up and hits me in the head. And it was like a cloud, a breath of air went through my whole body. It just washed over me like a cloud, like a breath of air. And it just went all the way through me, and it washed me. And I went, wow, I'm forgiven. I didn't know Christ crucified, and I didn't understand the cross and his sacrifice at Calvary when he gave his life for sin. He paid the price for it as he bought us back. That day he washed my sins away and he touched me and through the power of the cross and uh, Christ crucified, he was able to set me free. Some of us are familiar with the uh, story of Les Mis. That movie came out many years ago. Um, you know that Jean Valjean was a hardened, once hardened criminal, but because of what God had done in his life and the, the person that was in his life that showed grace to him, uh, he became a different person. And he goes on to be a mayor of a city. And, and the very grace that was shown to him 
he extended that unmerited favor to other people that were around him and that were undeserving, but he did it and he had an incredible impact for God because of that. Now, I want to contrast a few stories here. That's one story that you might be able to relate with. You might see yourself as the ransomed person who is now being used for God. Now let's go to a different kind of story, a story that you probably have heard throughout your lifetime in the news somewhere along the line, where you hear of this man or woman that froze to death in their home, and upon further investigation, officials check the home and they find bags of money all over the place in the house, and you find that they had all the resources not only to take care of their own needs, but also to have an impact with other people but because they were misers, they kept it and hoarded it all for themselves and never utilized it, not only for their own good, but for the good of other people. This morning, I want to ask, who do you relate with the most? Now, I know all of us would want to say, of course, I'm the, I'm the Jean Valjean. I'm the, I'm the guy that's been ransomed, and my life is being used to help other people. I hope that's the case. I hope we have 100% of everybody here today that you can say, yeah, that's my life. But I fear that possibly some of us might be in the, the miser category, where for the most part, it's all about us, and we haven't gotten outside of ourselves. And if we're truthful and we ask ourselves, what are we doing for God, the answer might be, not a thing. And though you would not want to relate with the last illustration, if you're honest, that's where you are. Now here's the good news. Nobody has to stay there. Nobody has to stay there. The good thing about God's grace and His redemption is that He is constantly extending a hand to us. He wants us to know what it means to be in Christ, and He wants us to be utilized for Him. And so He extends that hand of grace to every single one of us today. Today we're going to do a spiritual assessment of where we are at. You see, the last couple weeks we've been in Ephesians 1. And in the first two weeks, what we've done is we've looked at all the blessings. All the blessings in which God has poured out on each and every single one of us, made available to us. And if you are in Christ, you're beginning to fully understand and utilize those resources. We understand that the Father blessed us by choosing us before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world. We know that the, that the Son blessed us by redeeming us purchasing us out of the slave market of sin. He did that. He gave his life as a ransom. And we know that the Spirit of God blessed us by sealing us with his Holy Spirit. So these are the blessings that we've talked about in the last couple weeks. And as you know, we're going to Ephesians to kind of get on the alignment rack so that we can align our life with the Word of God so that we can see where we're out of alignment and how we need to be in alignment. And so today, Paul is going to transition, and he is going to give a prayer. He is going to give a prayer. Verses 15 to the end of the chapter is really a prayer of Paul for the Ephesian believers and for you and I today. And what he's going to pray is he's going to start off with a praise, and then he's going to give a request of what he would like to see. Now, if I was to summarize that prayer and praise, his praise would be, God, thank you. 
that these Ephesian believers really showed their love and their faith in a daily life. But I'm also praying that they would really know you, that they would know you intimately. Now, the word know means this. It means to make a thorough assessment of what you have so that it can be utilized fully. And what Paul is saying is, I want you to really assess your knowledge of Christ, that you would really assess all that you have in Christ so that it will translate in how you live your life on a daily basis. And so he's saying, I want you to assess your life. And he's actually going to give five assessments, five ways he wants them to know God better. And so it's very practical for you and I because we can measure our life by all five of these things. It's very practical. Now, as we do assessment today in the Word of God, I, do, I am mindful that sometimes we don't like assessments. Now, once every five years, I get an assessment from my doctor, head to toe. And I want you to know there's aspects of that assessment that I don't care for. You know what I mean, don't you? Now, I go and do this assessment because it's for my physical well-being. And so when we do a spiritual assessment, it is for our spiritual well-being. Let's pray that God would use this for his glory. Lord, I pray that you would meet each of us where we're at. Help us to see what your heart is. Help us to realize what you desire of us. And Lord, you always want that which is good for us. You always desire to provide for us and to protect us because we're your kids. And Lord, help us to allow that truth to sink in that you would never do anything that would bring harm to us, but that you always want to guide us and direct us towards safety. And so, Lord, we pray, Father, that as we, as we understand what you want and you, de you desire, that we would be honest with ourselves in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Let's start off in verse, uh, verse, uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 15 where he says this. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks. When he says, For this reason, he's linking back to the previous blessings that have been given. He says, For this reason, this is, I'm, I'm linking back to this, in light of all that God has given you, this is what I want to pray. And so he starts off, he says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And for this, I continually give thanks. Two things that they were noted for by Paul, their faith and their love. Let's understand that and let's see if it's true of us as well. Now, it's interesting, in the original language, before the word faith is a preposition. And this preposition is not in the English translation, but it should be. And the preposition is, it means down alongside faith. That's what it should read. It doesn't flow in the English, so therefore they have left it out. It should read, I praise you, I have, I've heard of your down alongside faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this wasn't a saving faith. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about our faith that we're living out on a day-to-day -day basis that should be a down alongside of faith. 
This was a faith that was being observed by those that were outside of Christ, those that were in Adam, so to speak, and, there, and also those within the body of Christ. And he's saying, this wasn't a, I kind of see how you love Jesus type of faith. No, it wasn't that. It was, no, 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 I completely, I completely see Christ in you because it is so evident that you are in so in love with Jesus because you've come alongside of me. I've seen you come alongside of others. It's that kind of faith. Now, please note that when he gives this kind of description of faith, he's not talking about an event. He's talking about a daily process. And sometimes we look even at church as a, uh, our outreach as an event. We're going to have an outreach event of feeding teachers or doing things during the summer. No, those things are good, but it's only good when we accompany it with an everyday faith that's lived out amongst our community and the people that are around us. That's why we're doing this uh, marketplace ministry, because anybody in any occupation, we want to help equip you so that you live out your faith. That's what he's talking about here. Then he says, your love. Now, the word for love in the original language is unconditional love. It mirrors the unconditional love that God's love gave us. God's loved the world. He unconditionally loved the world. He demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. We are to mirror the unconditional love that the Father has demonstrated to us. Now, please note that unconditional love doesn't mean we love lovable people. Now, I wish it was just that, but it goes way beyond that. It means that we love the people that are unlovable, the good, the bad, the ugly. We accept it, and we understand we people where they're at because that's humanity, and that's the kind of love that they were being commended for. Now, my friends, we expect ugliness outside the church. It's just going to be, that's what happens when you get a bunch of people that are in Adam, that don't know Christ, don't have the Spirit of God. That's what you expect. But sometimes it happens even with believers. Years ago, when I had graduated Bible college, I was looking to be involved in ministry. I started working with junior high, my wife and I, and I had to do it on a voluntary basis. So I took a job working as a rehabilitation assistant at a rehab center for the disabled in Canal Fulton. Now, I want you to know the, the, the disabled folks that I worked with, they were incredible. They were incredible people. I learned a lot of lessons. And the staff were good-hearted people. But I will tell you that there was a nasty little habit that took place every single day in the slaughterhouse lunchroom. Okay, do you know why I called it the slaughterhouse lunchroom? Because if you weren't there that day, you were the object of the one being slaughtered. Somehow there was gossip. Somehow there was some kind of backbiting or accusation. And there did gang, 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 all this kind of stuff that happened on a daily basis. Well, I realized this, and kind of because of the demented personality that I have, I thought, let's have fun with this. And so instead of just getting angry, I, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to heap kindness. I'm going to heap kindness up on this. And I took some of the worst offenders in that, that were guilty of this, and I tried to apply Romans 12 that says, if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, give him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. So I wanted to apply that. 
Well, I believe that that's the kind of love that Paul is commending the Ephesians for. A love that says, I'm going to love you no matter what. I don't care what's going on in your life. I know that you need that love. And so that's what they were commended for. Please know that this love was also not a one-time act. It's a daily basis on a daily basis. So that's what they're committed for. How about us? What is God seeing in our life? What does he see in our faith, in our daily faith, in our daily love that we have? What is God's evaluation? I hope that he would say, I commend you for your faith and your love. Now we move on to the prayer. Take a look at verse 17. He says, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. Now he's going to tell them what he wants the God of the Father to give them. Now please note that before he actually starts in the request, he allows the reader to know the source of the answers to the prayer requests that he's going to give. He's going to give five requests, and he wants, us, wants them to know right away what the source of the, the answer to all that request. It all resides within God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. He is the source of the encouragement. He is the source in which we were to get our answers. We don't have to go looking for the answer somewhere else. That's where the answer is. Now, I want you to think of this in banking terms. Now, I'm not a banker. We have a few bankers in here. So I've decided I'm going to become one with my fellow banker here. and We're going to use an analogy here. And we're going to look at our old source and our new source. The old bank that we used to go to was called the First Flesh Bank of Depravity, okay? First Flesh Bank of Depravity, and when we took out withdrawals, there was nothing but ugliness that came out. There was discontentment, there was selfishness, there was all kinds of things. And that's what we were when we were in Adam. But when we came in Christ, we transferred our membership to the Keys to Eternal Life Sovereign Bank. Now, I know some of you are looking at that and you're saying, that is really dorky. I know. But you're going to remember it. And when we trans made that transfer, what happened in this membership in yielding our life to Christ and becoming in Christ, he gave a deposit of the Holy Spirit within our life. And that Holy Spirit is, allows us to make a daily withdrawal from God so that we can get the encouragement and the wisdom that we need. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to get them to realize. Your source is in God. You have to be tapped into God. And sometimes we get so worried and worked up in life about circumstances and situations that come our way, and we start thinking and strategizing how we're going to accomplish this or how we're going to get out of this situation or who we're going to talk to and how we're going to manipulate it all and make it work out to our end. Well, I want you to know you have no control in many of these things, but there is one who is. I can't control my friends. I can't control my family. I can't control the body. But the Holy Spirit is involved intimately. And so my source is in God. And so he gives the first prayer request and he says this. I want you to know Christ. This is the request. Look at verse 17. He says, I'm praying that the God of our Father, uh, Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation 
in the knowledge of him. Every word is vital here. The word revelation means a true and com full, complete, accurate knowledge. And the word wisdom is the application of this knowledge in everyday life. Now the final phrase, in the knowledge of him, gives us the object of what we are studying. It's the, in the object, or in the knowledge of Jesus in him. And this is how we can put this together. The Spirit of God takes the knowledge of Jesus that we gain by studying Jesus and he helps us to apply it in our everyday life. In other words, we take out a withdrawal from God's bank, his word, and the Holy Spirit teaches us how we should apply this on a daily basis. That's how God works. That's what he's saying. I'm praying that you would grow in this area. Now, I want you to know, when I first became a believer, there were a lot of things that God had to work on my life. He still worked on my life, lots of things. But I can remember one lesson in terms of self-control. When I was outside of Christ, I had no self-control. My old fleshly bank taught me, if I want it, I get it. If I feel it, I say it. And that's exactly how I operated. But when I came under the control of the Holy Spirit in my life, all of a sudden, he was speaking to me in different terms and saying, no, 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 Steve, just because you're mad at somebody, you don't now give a bunch of descriptive words to tell them how you feel. Let's control the mouth. No, 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 Steve. No, pornography is not something for you to engage in, show control, step away, get away from that, because I don't want you to do that anymore. God would use his word to help instruct me. I can remember reading things like Colossians 3, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. In the life you once lived, you should no longer live this way. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self and have put on the new self. And then he goes on and he says, but I want you to clothe yourself. I want you to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. And he says, and put all over all these virtues, put on love and forgive one another. So all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit takes the word, that the, the, the withdrawal from his word, and he helps me to apply this in everyday life on self-control. Now, if I had time, I could tell you about all the lessons I've learned about attitude, about hard work, about honesty, about patience, about forgiveness, about confrontation, about humility, generosity, and the list goes on. But that's what God does, and he wants us to do that. So here's the assessment. Assessment number one. God wants us to make withdrawal from his words so that he can teach us. How are you doing? How are you doing? It may sound simple, but it means we open this on a daily basis. Now, I know people will say, you know what, Steve, I, you just don't understand the schedule I have. What I do understand is that with today's technology, I could put my phone up on the, the car, in my car, I could put my Bible app, and I can play the Word of God uh, in the many 30-minute transitions that I take from one place to another. There's many ways in which in today's world we're able to allow God's Word into our heart. It's a matter of, is it a priority for all of us? Now, please don't think that this is an adult thing. This is a believer thing. This is for each and every one of us. This is God's assessment. He says, this is what I want. I want you to make that withdrawal. 
Request number two is in verse 18. He goes on in his prayer and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart are enlightened. Now the word heart in that culture was the center of the, not only the emotion, but the intellect and the will as well. And the eyes were the gateway. And what he is saying is, I want you, uh, I want, Paul is praying that these believers would have their minds and their hearts open to receiving a greater understanding of Christ. He says, I want you to have a longing. I want you to have a longing of understanding for him. Now he's going to give three specific ways that will be our next prayer request uh, in a moment. But here's the application. Here's the assessment number two. God wants us to have a longing for him. He wants us to have a longing for him. Over the years, I have spent a lot of time in one-on-one discipleship with individuals. And there's been times where I've had individuals come to me and say, Steve, I just, honestly, I don't have a longing for God. I mean, I kind of want to want to, but I just don't have a longing for God. Maybe if in our honesty you would say, you know what, that's me. I look at other people and I see their passion and I'm like, I want that, but I don't have it. And to be honest, I, I'm kind of faking it till I make it type of deal. And I'm just trying to look like I'm really enjoying God. Here's what I know. I think if we applied the assessment today that you can have a greater longing to God, because you're, if you're doing this assessment, you're going to do what James 4 says, where he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Number three assessment. He goes on and he says in verse 18, he says, I pray that, that you would know what the hope is of which he has called you. That you would know the hope. Now the word hope is not how we use the word hope. We use the word hope in a sense of uncertainty. We say, I hope I pass the test. Of course, there's an uncertainty in our mind and a question mark, will I actually pass the test? He's not saying the word hope here with an uncertainty. He's actually, it's just the opposite. He is saying it with certainty. And notice the context here, that you would know the hope, the certain hope to which he's called you. And what has he called you to? He's talking about your salvation. He's saying, I want you to know. I want you to be secure in knowing that you are saved. This is the assessment. God wants us to have absolute certainty of our salvation. See, I'm speaking to some people that you've prayed to receive Christ about 20 times in your life. And I know why it is, because you accepted Christ in your life, and then you messed up. And you thought, okay, I messed up, so I must have fell out of God's favor, out of His grace, so i got to pray to receive Him again. And you do it again and again and again. Well, my friends, God knows you're going to mess up. He knows you're, that we're who we are. It says in 1 John 1, 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What God wants is for us to realize that if we have truly called out to Him, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, was buried, and rose again, and that we are totally grasping and saying, God, I need you as my Savior. If we do that, you're, you're His. According to our passage last week, he puts his, the seal of his Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you perpetually doubting your salvation. 
It's kind of like this. When I was a kid, I was about 12 years old, I was on a swim team. And I want you to know I was horrible. But uh, I, I swam nonetheless because it was a good thing for me to be a part of. And my worst stroke was the, breast, uh, was the uh, butterfly. Uh, I look like a dog with one leg drowning in the water. Okay, that's, if you can picture that image, that's what I looked like. Well, occasionally I got asked to do that stroke in a competition. And so I, here I am up on the starting block and I start and I dive off and I start the butterfly. I start doing the butterfly and I mess up. Now, can you imagine if I messed up, I thought, you know what, I better start over again. And I swim back and I get back up on the starting block and I jump into the water and I keep going and I mess up again. So I go back to the starting block, I get up and I dive off and I do the stroke. While the race is going on, I'm still at the starting block. And some people are like that in regards to their salvation. And what God wants is, I want you to run the race. You're going to mess up. You come to me. You ask for forgiveness. I will give cleansing. My seal of my Holy Spirit is in your life. Stop doubting. Be secure. Know that you are my kid, and I'm not going to disown you. We need to know that. It's part of our assessment. Number four, verse 18, he says, that you know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, this is incredible. Notice the word order here, that you know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, up till now, he had been talking about all the blessings that he has given us and that all the riches we have. But now he's talking about the riches that God is inheriting. Notice what his riches are. The riches of his glorious inheritance, notice the preposition, in the what? In the what? Saints. Say it a little bit louder. Saints, thank you. And who are the saints? Are. You are. We are. If you are a believer, do you realize you are God's inheritance? You are his trophy. You are his prize. And I don't think God gives us to, to do what we did to our kids all their life. Oh, you're the best. You're the awesome. You're, you're just going to be great. No, no. He does this because he wants us to realize that there's a long time standing that we will have with God. And that he has a vested interest in us. If we look at 1 Corinthians 15, he says he's going to resurrect us. If we look at Ephesians 5, uh, verses 25 to 27, it says that he is in the process of making us pure, making us holy, making us like a bride ready for the wedding day, that we would be spotless before him. It says in Revelation chapter 19, 1 to 10, that there will be a day, that there will be a wedding day of this thing called his bride, the church, where we will be married to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and there is a day in which he receives his full inheritance and we live with him forever and ever and ever. The song we sang ever, where it says forever honoring him, forever worshiping him, that's not just like a cute saying, it's what we will do forever and ever. This, my friends, is not home. That is going to be home. This is not it. And so what we're doing is we're realizing he wants us to realize that this isn't it. 
Here's the assessment. Listen to this. God wants us to realize that we are his valued treasure that he has set aside for himself and is making us holy in preparation for the day that we live together for eternity. Now I'm speaking to some people that have such a low view of themselves that you live in a perpetual gloom. As a result, you find yourself unworthy before God. And as a result, you don't serve God with all your heart. Now, in this assessment, God wants you to know that you are his valued treasure, that he is making an investment into you, and he wants you to realize this, and it is about time that we start to see ourselves in the way that God sees us. Here's the question. Are you seeing yourself as the valued treasure, his inheritance? We need to. That's assessment four. Assessment number five comes in this request. He says in verse 19 that, that you know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believes. Now notice the progression here. We've gone from knowing Christ through his word, that we would long for him, that we would be secure in Christ, that we would see ourselves as a valued treasure, but now that we would see that God wants, while we are still here, for his power to work through us. This is what he says, that the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believes. The word power means dynamic. Here God is directing a laser beam of his immeasurable, great, awesome, dynamic power towards us as Christ followers. And the passage goes on and says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in us. The, look at the words that are used here. Power, working, might, work. All these words deal with power and energy and strength that God allows us to inherit when we come to faith in Christ. Now please note that you don't possess that power. It's not within this being. It's within the Spirit of God who lives within us and desires to use us. And if we get out of the way, then God can do some amazing things in our life. Now to illustrate this, I want to bring out an example about my golf game. I want you to know that I, like swimming, am a horrible golfer. I am horrible. Bill Johnson could take me out every single day. He could disciple me. He could teach me how to hold this thing. And I want you to know if, if I spent 40 hours a week with Bill Johnson, I would still shoot 52. I shoot 52 when I practice a lot and when I don't practice at all. I could go out today and shoot, well, maybe not today, but I could go out and shoot a 52. I'm horrible at golf. Now, let's just say that in this flesh of mine, I really wanted to golf well. And so I, I get all the Jack Nicholas videos. And I, I think, what would Jack do? WWJD. What would Jack do? And so I think, I even wear a bracelet that says WWJD. And I start studying Jack. And I start wa watching his swing. And I learn the technique. And let's say I spend 80 hours a week studying Jack. Because I want to know what Jack can do, and I want to do it myself. I want you to know if I spend 80 hours a week for the next 30 years, I would never golf like Jack Nicholas. Never, never. Because I don't have it, that ability within my flesh. 
Now here's the deal. If by some Freaky Friday type of deal came along where Jack Nicholas's spirit all of a sudden came and possessed Steve Marshall, then all of a sudden I would be driving it 300 yards straight as an arrow. All my chips, all my putts would be going in and it would be heroic because the spirit of Jack lives within me. I want you to know that's not possible. But it is possible for the Spirit of God to live within you. And in and of yourself, you have no ability. But because of God's Spirit desiring to work through you, there is a power that He wants to do in and through each and every person that is a Christ follower. He wants that. Now notice in the passage how this, pa this power is seen in Jesus. Look in verse 20. It says this, that he worked in Christ, this power that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What? Are you telling me the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that's at work within me? That's exactly right. Notice how else the power is seen in Jesus. Far above all rule and authority and powers and dominion in every name that is, a, that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. What? Over all the angelic and demonic beings, this power that's in work in Christ as it is in work is at work in me? Absolutely. Notice the third way that this power is seen in Christ. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You saying the, the same power that enables Christ to be able to be the leader of the church, to be the head of the church, is at work in me? That's exactly what Paul is trying to help us understand. And here's our fifth assessment. God wants us to experience his power working through us. One of the best examples I see in the scripture of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. Verses 1 to 5. After Paul says there's not many wise, not many noble, not many influential, it's only those that are in Jesus that something can happen, he then transitions and says, guys, I want you to know I'm not writing you with wise and persuasive words. I, I, I come to you with weakness and fear and trembling. But I want you to know the message that I proclaim comes to you in power, not in my power, but in the Spirit's power as a demonstration of what God can do. And what Paul was saying was, if you hear something good coming out of me, it's not me, it's God. And I want you to know when you hear something good coming from this pulpit, or when you see something good by people setting up, or when you see a teacher teaching your kids, the good that's coming out of them is the power of God working through, and that is the joy of God. That is the joy of God because when we understand who we are and who he is, we realize I'm nothing, he is something, so therefore he's the only one that is deserving of praise. My friends, this is the question. Are you living in the power of God? He wants to do something through you. Are you living in the power of God? Now as we step away from our passage, I want to conclude while the worship team comes up and gets uh, set to take us on our last song. Um, I want you to pull off this piece of paper. Uh, it was handed to you on the way in. This is part of our assessment today. I want you to pull out this piece of paper. 
and look at the blue side if you have it. If you don't have it, you can make, grab one from the Welcome Center, but uh, share with somebody around you. We want you to realize that as we pray over this body and we say we want you really to have your mission in view, we really mean that. That we, we feel that strongly that God has equipped every single person here with an ability to have an impact and everything that we talked about in this message that God talked about should be true of each and every one of us. But what we've done is we've said as leaders, we've said as we pray for you, there's five ways that we want to see success. And we can measure this in, in, in that you evaluate in your own life. Is this true in me? And we think if all five of these things are happening that come straight out of the scriptures, then we believe that you're going to be, you're going to be right in the zone of fulfilling what God desires for you. Number one is that you're going to pursue God. That you're going to make uh, intimacy with God a great priority in your life. Now, some of us would say, I know that that's not true. I want to want to, but it's not true. Well, now you know, this is what we desire to see happen. And it is possible if you draw near to God. Number two, that we live connected with each other. That's why we're constantly drilling with the community groups. Because we believe it happens life on life. Where And the, the, this isn't just us. It's God's word. He tells us, look at the one another's that we share with one another, that we encourage one another, that we help one another. That we use, number three, that we use our gifts. We just saw it today. God wants to use us through the power of the Spirit, and God has given us spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit. And that's how you can see the demonstration of His power by utilizing the gifts that He's given you. That number four, that we steward our life, that we aim to manage every aspect of our life, our bodies, our relationships, our time, our money to be used for His mission, for His glory. That's what we want for every single person. And that we would also, number five, share our great story. He put us here and he said, go. Be my disciple. Make disciples. Go. And so that means that as we go along, we have to share our story. Some of you say, well, I'm not ready to share my faith. Yes, you are. Day one, you were ready to share your faith. You could be like the blind man, blind man in John who says, I, I don't know. All I know is that before I could not see, but now I can see. You have a story. God has given it to you. You can share that. Here's what we want to see as a church, our strategy, that we would love our community. That if we're doing these things, it's going to result in us loving our community. That it's going to result in us working together, not just here, but it's going to result in us working together with other gospel-minded churches that we are going to prepare our team, that we're going to, as leaders, we're going to equip you for works of service so that you can get out and do what you need to do. That's why we're doing what we're doing in the, in the equip class. That we would plant other churches. My friends, this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. We want to see other churches in other communities and working with other churches in other communities. We want to see that. And we want to partner with others in going out with the gospel in other places in the world. This year we have a project of helping plant a church in Alanya, Turkey. Turkey is on my heart. 77 million people with only 4,000 known believers. My friends, there need to be church churches there. In the city of Alanya, we're working through national partners that we've taken a lot of time. I've taken a lot of time to build relationships with. And as a result, 
we have a church a planter named Hyrie. You can look at it in the prayer guide on the last sheet. I think you would have prayed for him yesterday or today. And, and Hyrie and his wife are in a city of a half a million people. And this is the only gospel work in that city. Can you imagine? Half a million people, only gospel work. This is life and death stuff. What we do here matters. And we need to realize we're not here playing church. We're here to accomplish something for his glory. And so as we sing this song, this last song, about our surrender, may that be our heart. May we say, yeah, God, assess me. Help me. Help me to, to do what you want because I want to be your servant.